Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Brothers and sisters, it's that time in the service when we open the scripture and read what the Spirit is saying to the church. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. This is commonly known as the Great Commission. This is Jesus gathering with his disciples and sending them out in mission to the world. And the story goes like this, Matthew 28, starting with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. How many of you know where South Africa is? Did you find it on a map? Here's a little help. If you need to know some directions, just go east to get to the Sudan and then turn right. That's not a joke. All right. <laughs> um, I learned about South Africa from one of my seminary professors. His name is Dr. Peter Story, and he's from South Africa. And uh, Dr. Story was the president of the Methodist Church of South Africa some years ago. And his claim to fame is he is personal friends with Desmond Tutu. And he ministered to uh, some gentleman named Nelson Mandela, uh, who was, of course, president of South Africa. And Dr. Story was his chaplain when Mandela was imprisoned on Robben Island. Uh, Dr. Story refers to him affectionately as the old man. The old man. So uh, anyhow, the reason this matters for us today is because uh, Dr. Story and President Mandela and their people of South Africa lived for decades through a horribly prejudiced system of government and of culture known as apartheid. How many of you have heard of apartheid? Apartheid very simply means apart, and black people and white people were kept separate, and not separate but equal, separate but terribly unequal. Black people were regulated and monitored. Uh, They were mistreated and oppressed and even killed because of the color of their skin. A lot of us don't realize, friends, this is not ancient history. Apartheid was alive and well all the way into the 1990s. Okay, so in the lifetime of some of us here in this room and some of us at home, during our lifetime, this happened, and it happened right across the ocean in South Africa. So we're sitting in class one day, and Dr. Story is telling us about a time he got a phone call in the middle of the night. Uh, One of his black clergy had been arrested and taken to jail by the secret police. And when you're, when you're the bishop and something bad happens to one of your pastors, you're, you go, right? You go and help and minister to them because just like I pastor you, the bishop is to pastor us. And so he went to check on his pastor. He drove 60 miles from Johannesburg to this little town where the pastor was being held in jail, and he found the jail, and he went to check on his pastor named Ika Malawabi. So Dr. Story says, I was accompanied by a guard 
a large white Afrikaner man. He took me to a little room where I found Ika sitting on a bench wearing sweatpants and looking terrified. He had been pulled out of his bed in the small hours of a freezing winter morning and dragged off to this jail. Now, let's pause the story for a second. Let's pretend that you are Dr. Story. Let's pretend that you are going to minister to someone and you're in jail there with your friend who is freezing cold and bewildered and there's a guard looking over your shoulder. What do you do? What do you do? Probably not an opportunity you have every day of your life, right? Well, I I love what Dr. Story says. He says, uh, he turned to the guard and he told him, we're going to have Holy Communion. And so he took out of his pocket a little bottle of wine and a little envelope of some bread, and he spread his handkerchief on the bench there where Ika was sitting, and he made the table ready. And he said, when it was time to give the invitation, I turned to the guard, and I said, this table is open to all. And so if you would like to join us, you you should feel free to join us in the eating and the drinking. And Dr. Story says, this must have touched some place in his religious self because he took the line of least resistance and he nodded. Dr. Story says, I handed the bread and the cup to Ika because one always gives the sacrament first to the least of Christ's brothers or sisters, and he ate and drank. And Dr. Story says, next must surely be the stranger in your midst. And so I offered the bread and the cup to the guard. Now, you don't need to know too much about South Africa to understand what white Afrikaner racists felt about drinking from the same cup that had just touched the lips of a black person. The guard was in crisis. He would either have to refuse the grace of God or he would have to overcome his prejudice. After a long pause, he took the cup and he sipped it. And then Dr. Story says, Now I took something of a liberty and I said to them, You know, as Methodists, we always hold hands when we say the grace. (laughs) And so the guard very stiffly reached out and took Ika's hand. And there they were, black people and white people standing together in a little circle in a jail cell in a tiny town in South Africa. And Dr. Story said, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, God has a dream for His world. God has a dream for His people. And because of His dream, Christ is inviting all of God's people to His table. See, this is not my table. It's not your table. It belongs to Jesus. And Jesus declares that all are welcome. All are welcome to come and eat. And not only that, not only are they welcome, Jesus tells his church, look, you cannot wait for them to come to you. You must go to them. You have to go out into the world and extend the table. This is the world's longest table, and it goes out into all the places where God's people are, into jail cells and elementary schools, into backyards and offices and coffee shops, and even Thanksgiving dinner at grandma's house. Brothers and sisters, today is the last sermon in our series. It's called Dream Big, and we are talking about how to build a multicultural church. I want you to know this sermon series was inspired by one of our Timberlake life groups, the Race and Reconciliation Life Group, a gathering of men and women who for months met on Zoom to talk about how to build a multicultural church, to talk about how to reach 
brothers and sisters of color and how to minister and to create and knock down barriers and create bridges in the church. And they asked me, I met with them this past summer. They told Pastor Matt, we want to meet with Pastor Brad. So I said, okay. So I met with them on Zoom. They said, Pastor Brad, we want you to do a sermon series on this subject that we've been talking about. And so I thought about it and I said, okay, I will, but under one condition. The condition is you have to continue the life group conversation because preaching will not fix this, right? One guy standing up and talking for 20 or 30 minutes once a week is not going to change the hearts of God's people. So they agreed, I agreed, and so I'm here preaching this series, and they have agreed to continue this life group and so graciously open it so more people can join. So I'm very pleased to tell you that in just the coming weeks, we are going to start and launch a new life group that is in the same vein. It is called the More Ambassadors, M-O-R, which stands for Ministers of Reconciliation. And the More Ambassadors is going to be a group of men and women to have a conversation about these things and to continue it in the ways that Christ is calling us to go. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And so it's the work of the people of God to reconcile people to Christ and also to one another in the grace of Christ. If you're interested, I want you to send an email to Kathy Presley. Now, Kathy and Larry Presley are here this morning. Would you stand real quick so we can acknowledge you? The Larry and Kathy have agreed to lead the group for us. So, yeah, you can clap for them. Go right ahead. <laughs> So we're grateful for their leadership. If you're interested or even just have a question, send an email to Kathy. There's the email address, kwpresley11 at gmail.com. Larry and Kathy, thank you for your leadership. We are grateful for you. Grateful to the Race and Reconciliation Group to, to get this going. Also grateful to Dr. James Cam, who gave the message last Sunday. Wasn't it a good message? Very stirring, very inspiring. And so if you missed it, friends, you missed a good one. And so please go back and listen to it on the Church Center app or on the website or on your smartphone podcast app. Dr. Cam reminded us that when God looks at a person, God does not look at the outward person. God looks at the inward person. God looks at the heart. Dr. Cam reminded us that all of God's people are invited to come to the table of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a good week to think about the table, isn't it? You know what this week is, right? Thanksgiving on Thursday. Yes, yes, yes. And I love to think about the intersection between our American Thanksgiving on Thursday and our Christian Great Thanksgiving on Sunday. You ever think about that? You ever think about the intersection, about the overlap? Maybe you don't. That's okay. It's my job to think about these things and to put them to you and say, hey, consider this. Consider, consider the similarities, friends, okay? There's turkey and gravy. There's bread and wine, okay? But there, it's feasting, right? It's celebration. It's an acknowledgement of the provision of God who gives us what we do not deserve, but that which we desperately need, right? And so my, my secret hope is when you pray on Thursday with your family before the meal that you'll remember this, and that when you break the bread and you pass the rolls, or we used when I was a teenager, we would like launch them across the table. Brother, do you guys do that? Brothers to brothers, yeah. Uh, when you do that, that you would remember, like, this is the body of Christ, right? Like, and when you have a glass of wine or juice, uh, that you would remember, like, Jesus died for you, right? So the table gets extended even to your table on Thursday. So I wonder, on Thursday, when you gather, who's going to be there? You thought about this already? 
You made the plans? A lot of you made the plans, all right? You know who's coming. The cousins, you know, coming from Arizona. Grandma's coming from down the street, right? Okay, good. So you know who's going to be there. Have you thought about this? Who's not going to be there? Who's not going to be there? Maybe some loved ones that you're missing. You wish were still here. Uh, maybe some friends that live too far away to be able to make it. How about your neighbors that you're starting to get to know them or you haven't yet got to know them? And they're having their Thanksgiving. You're having your Thanksgiving. What would it be like if, if we got together at the table, friends? Think about who's there. Think about who's not there. God's mission for us is that we take the table and extend it into the world. And this is the dream that the Lord has for us because the Bible's picture of heaven is of all of God's people gathered around the throne worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. This is a dream, friends. So that's why we call this series Dream Big because God has a dream for us. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I need glimpses of the dream once in a while just to remember it and to keep it fresh and to keep pursuing it. And so I'm grateful that God gives us glimpses of the dream once in a while and says, see this, look at this, notice one of the places where I see a glimpse of God's dream of a multicultural, multinational gathering of people is in sports. How many of you played sports growing up? How many of you noticed that black, white, Asian, Latino doesn't matter in sports, right? Because everybody's on the same team. And it's, I, one thing I love about sports is it's truly merit-based, right? There's no special advantages. If you can play, you are on the team. And if you can't, then, you know, you can be the water boy or whatever. That's good too. <laughs> but everybody is welcome and your race matters not. And I grew up playing basketball and I had black kids on my team and Latino kids on my team and Asian kids on my team. And that really wasn't a thing. It was actually everybody working together for the common goal of competing and of winning, winning the game. And so I appreciate that God gives us these glimpses of what it looks like to build a multicultural church, of what it looks like to break down barriers. Friends, sometimes the glimpse even happens in the church. This is a picture of my home church, Good Shepherd United Methodist in Dale City, Virginia. This is a church where I grew up and first heard the call of Christ to be a disciple and first heard the call from God to be a pastor. And we had a wonderful diversity in our church. I had a black pastor. I had a black youth leader. My Sunday school teacher was from Nigeria. His name is Dr. Michael Otegbi. And so we would hear stories about Nigeria, and I, just, I can still hear his voice in my head. It was awesome. Uh, to be honest, the diversity that we had in this church was probably more a reflection of the neighborhood in which it was situated and the urban context in which we lived and less a matter of us intentionally cultivating it. So it's not, I don't remember anyone saying, gosh, you know what, we're really going to work to break down racial barriers. It sort of just naturally happened as a result of the community in which we lived. So I tell you that to tell you this, um, we can have the same thing at Timberlake, we just might have to work a little harder, right? We might just have to go out of our way a little bit more to uh, reach and, and connect with people who are in our neighborhood and in our community. Now, if this feels weird to you, if this feels far-fetched, let me talk to you for a second. Let me talk to the cynics for a moment, okay? Let me talk to the doubters and to the unconvinced and to the skeptics for a moment. I've got a story for you. There are these two fish swimming along one morning, and they happen to meet an older fish going the other way. And the older fish nods to the two younger fish, and he says, morning, boys. How's the water? 
And the two younger fish continue on their way swimming. And then after a little bit, one of them looks at the other and he says, what the heck is water? Sometimes the most obvious and important realities are the hardest ones to see. You ever notice that, friends? And we, with humans, we live with these blinders. We cannot always see the reality that is right there in front of us. And today I want to name one of those realities is what it's like to be in the cultural majority. Most of us live in the cultural majority. And most of the people that are in our home and in our neighborhoods and in our schools look like us, right? And I'm, when I, what I mean by that is white and middle class and American, right? Most of the people we know and hang out with, that's kind of more or less describes them. Now, please hear me say this. There's nothing wrong with being white and middle class and American. That's just fine. It's not any better or any worse than anybody else, right? We are who we are. We are who God made us. Here's the challenge. Here's the trick. When you are in the cultural majority, you tend to have blind spots. You tend not to be able to see what it's like for someone else who's not in the cultural majority. It's like trying to tell a fish that he lives in water. How do you explain that to a fish, friends? Division and prejudice and brokenness have so saturated our culture that it's like the water that we swim in. This is not a white person problem. This is not a black person problem. This is a human problem. We have neglected the humanity of one another. We have failed to acknowledge that every person is made in the image of God. I was talking this week to someone I care about, and um, he was telling me about some efforts to reach people of color, especially young people. And he was telling me, you know, Pastor Brad, you know, we got this great community, and, uh, you know, we have, in our community, we have minorities, and we also have regular people. Right? So the problem with that is, like, if I'm regular, then that means my neighbor is irregular, right? And, and I don't think for a second that he was being ugly, right? He wasn't being difficult. He wasn't putting anybody down. It was just a sort of a loose language. He was not disciplined in his language. He wasn't thinking about what he was saying and how that would come across to someone else and, and how terribly hurtful that might be to someone. Now, I, I tried not to take offense, but I, I'm encouraging us to be disciplined. I'm encouraging us to think about what is it like for our neighbor? What is it like for the other? Have you ever been in a situation in which you were in the minority? You ever been in that situation? Friends, it is good for the soul to be the minority and to experience what it's like, especially when you are usually in the majority. Have you ever been in a room full of women and you were the only man? Or vice versa, the only woman, a room full of men? You ever been in a room full of non-Americans and you were the only American? That will teach you something. Have you ever been in a room full of black people and you're the only white person? Okay, good. Here's what you notice, right? That happens to black people in our community all the time, doesn't it? Where they go and they're the only black person in a room full of white people. So it's good to put on the shoes of our neighbor and see what it's like and experience and taste that for ourselves, friends. I love the way that Mark Twain put it. Any Mark Twain fans? I love this quote. He said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. When you get outside of your home, outside of yourself, and you go to where people are. He said, broad, wholesome, charitable views of men cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. It's true, isn't it? 
When you travel the world, when you meet new people, it changes your perception. You learn, you grow, you come to appreciate people who are different than you. Friends, we are called to go. We are called to get outside of ourselves, outside of our homes, outside of this church, outside of our comfortable places, and go to where people are. This is not just Pastor Brad's idea. This is the command of Christ. Okay, so we're going to read this from Matthew 28. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it. Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 16. Again, this is called uh, the Great Commission. The Great Commission, starting with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay, there's a lot going on here in the story that may or may not be obvious to you. This is the first scene in which the disciples are appearing since the time of Jesus' arrest in the garden on Holy Week on Thursday night. So do you know the story of Holy Week? Okay, so think about what's happened in the meantime. Jesus is arrested, and then they lock him up, and then they put him on trial. They put him on trial before the Sanhedrin, which is like the religious ruling authority. They put him on trial before the governor named Pontius Pilate. And then they mock him, and the soldiers beat him, and they make him carry his cross up the hill of Calvary, and they crucify him. And all that happened Thursday night into Friday. And on Friday afternoon, he died. And Saturday, Holy Saturday comes, and he's in the grave. And then Sunday morning comes, blessed, hallelujah, Jesus is raised from the dead. The stone is rolled away. Jesus appears in glorious light to a couple of his followers. Do you know which ones? The women. Hello. He said to the women, hey, it's me, it's me. I'm alive. I'm alive. And they were to go and tell the disciples. Now, except it begs the question, where were the disciples this whole time? They were hiding When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they ran away. They were scared, and they betrayed their Lord, and they denied their Lord, and they've hidden. This whole weekend, they're afraid. Oh, if they can do that to Jesus, they can do that to us. Man, we better get out of here. Save ourselves. Save ourselves. Okay, so now, imagine the scene. For the first time, they're encountering Jesus again. Here they are on the mountain, and the story says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. Okay, so this is not just like, oh, Lord Jesus, you're so great. Imagine grown men falling on their face to the ground and saying, Lord, we are not worthy. We messed up royally in the time of greatest need. We deserted you. We betrayed you. We abandoned you. We denied you. Please forgive us. And what does Jesus say to them? He scolds them. He says, you're forgiven. He doesn't criticize them. He says, I still want you on my team. I still want you on my team. Yeah, you messed up. Gosh, you know what? I don't know about you guys sometimes, but I love you. I love you. And so he said, you know, get up. Get off the ground because guess what? There's work to do. We got a lot of work to do. And I, I think one of the things I love about this story the most that I appreciate, the grace of God, how it shines through. Look at the last line in this part of the story. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Like, are you kidding me? The risen Christ is standing in front of you right now. You're not convinced? But we're not any better than that, are we? I mean, let's be honest. You know, sometimes we have great faith, and then the next moment we've got doubts. One moment we worship, the next moment we waver. We're committed, and then we're not really committed. And so this is the grace of God, friends, because he still wants you on his team. Jesus knows how fickle you are, and he still loves you. He still wants to include you in the mission. Friends, this story tells you just that little phrase, but some doubt it. It tells you the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love for you. Amen.
The story continues, verse 18. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, some of us have heard these words so many times they've lost their impact, perhaps. I want to try to reclaim the impact. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Okay, think with me about the context. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the disciples who were Jewish men. These are men who grew up in Hebrew school, who grew up hearing the story of the coming Messiah week after week. When they go to Sunday, you know, on Sunday school, you hear Bible stories. In Sunday school, they heard the stories from the prophets of there would be a a, a Christ, an anointed one, a Messiah coming to save their people. And so one day, uh, about three years before this, John the Baptist says, hey, everybody, hey, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's coming now into the world. And they were like, oh, here it is. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one come to save us. And so here they are, Jewish community with a Jewish teacher and Savior, a Jewish Messiah who has come from their Jewish God. Are you starting to get the picture? Okay, they think that Jesus is not just saving their souls. They understand that he's going to restore Israel, right? So they've been oppressed by the Roman government. So in their minds, Jesus is going to cast off the power of the Roman government. He's going to restore their land. He's going to restore their language. He's going to restore the way they worship. He's going to restore their identity. Can you imagine having those things stripped away from you, friends? Your language, you know, the way you worship, the the way you live, the way you eat, the way you talk. Right? So in their minds, all of this is being restored. That's what salvation means to them. And so Jesus is the one who has come for them. And now he is saying to them, okay, here's the deal. I came to save you. Now you're going to go save everybody else. And they said, right on, Jesus. Yes, we're going to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and we're going to save them. And Jesus says, yes, and everybody else. And they said, whoa, what do you mean, everybody else? You're, you're the Jewish Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, I'm the Jewish Messiah, but I'm the Messiah for everyone. I'm the Savior for the whole world. And so you have to go and save everyone. And they said, even the Samaritans? And Jesus was like, yeah, even the Samaritans. They were like, we hate those guys. And Jesus said, I know. (laughs) But guess what? God loves them. And they were like, even the Romans, though? I mean, they're so power hungry, they just rub it in our face all the time. Yep, even the Romans. Even the Greeks, they think they're so much better than us, you know, with their bridges and their buildings. And Jesus is like, yes, even the Greeks, everyone, everyone. God wants to save everyone. Friends, if you're a first century Jewish person, this is a mind-blowing thing that Jesus is saying to you, to all the nations, to all the nations. This is a radical idea. Again, this is one of the reasons they killed Jesus, right? Because Jesus broke down their notion of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Because Jesus opened the door wide. He said, everyone can come. Everyone is welcome. So here's where it gets real for us, friends, right here. Because the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples on this day has not changed. It's the same for us. Which means a multicultural church that we're called to build is not just like a nice extra. Like, uh, oh, variety is the spice of life. No, that's not it. A multicultural church is not merely a sociological value. Like, well, diversity is important. We all agree it's important, so we should have it. 
No, a multicultural church is not merely a matter of being respectful to people who are different. No, that's not near far enough. God is calling us to do nothing less than fully and completely include all people of all nations in His family, the church. Building a multicultural church is the command of Christ. Friends, this is the great commission, not the great suggestion, right? It's a gospel mandate. It is nothing less than the mission of the church to reach, feed, and release people from every nation. And I want you to notice that as Jesus says this, he invokes his authority. He says, all the authority of heaven and earth has given to me. Which means, remember, I'm the creator. I'm the one who made the earth on which you're now standing. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And now I say to you, go. Go. That's how important this is. Jesus gathers up all the authority of heaven and earth to announce it to his disciples. You are to go. The go might be the most important word, friends. And I know this happens in churches because I've been a part of a lot of them. We open the doors and we hang a sign that says, all are welcome. And then we sit back and we say, now, Lord, how come people aren't coming? How come they're not? Now, Lord, I looked around and it looks like we're mostly of one race. How come there are not more people of more different cultures coming into our church? Lord, we opened the doors. Lord, we hung a sign. It says all are welcome. What's the deal? And Jesus reminds us, brothers and sisters, it's not enough to open the door so people can come in. You have to open the door so that these people can go out. Go. We are called to go, friends. We are called to go, which is why what we're about to do is so important because we need nourishment, right? We need sustaining grace, God's help to be able to do this. And you say to me, Pastor Brad, this is hard. This is hard work. You're darn right it is, friends. It is really hard work. Imagine doing something harder than this. I can't even think of what it would be than to break down cultural barriers and to confess our sin and to make bonds and bridges with people that were once the neighbor and the other, and now they become part of the family of God. So we need help. We need help, and God sustains us with this meal. Now, here's the difference between today and Thursday. Uh, On Thursday, I don't know about you, but after I eat and my belly is full of turkey and gravy and stuffed with stuffing, you know the first thing that I want to do is take a nap, take a nap. Yes, I love a Thanksgiving afternoon nap. And I put on the football game and I pretend like I'm going to watch football. But really, I just lay back in the recliner and close my eyes for a while. And that's good and right. But this meal is different because this meal is not going to weigh you down, right? There's no tryptophan in the wine or in the bread. (laughs) This meal will not weigh you down. It'll lift you up. This meal will give you energy to go out and do the work that Christ is calling you to. Friends, this is for us. This is the meal, and everyone is invited. Everyone is invited, including the children. So bring the children in. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who repent of their sin, and all who want peace with one another. And so, friends, you are invited to the table. If you're at home right now, we want you to go ahead and grab your bread and wine or juice, friends who are in the room. Go ahead and take off the top layer of cellophane to expose the bread. And I'm going to invite you. When I lift the bread, you can lift your bread. And when I break the bread, you can break your bread. And when I eat the bread, you can eat your bread. And we'll share in this in that way together. Now, before we uh, feast, we always pray. And so let us pray together.